Welcome to the preaching podcast of Poplar Springs Baptist Church in Hiram, Georgia, and the preaching ministry of our senior pastor, Wayne Meadows. It is our desire that the message you hear today would call you to a closer walk with Jesus Christ, and that your life would give glory to God as you apply the biblical truths proclaimed. For more information about the ministry of Poplar Springs Baptist Church, check us out on the web, www.psbchurch.net. Thanks for listening, and enjoy the preaching of God's Word. All right, let's get to the Word this morning. Ephesians chapter 6, verses 21 through 24. I'm going to read, and you follow along in your copy and hear the Word of God this morning. So that you also may know how I am and what I am doing, Tychicus, the beloved brother and faithful minister in the Lord, will tell you everything. I have sent him to you for this very purpose, that you may know how we are and that he may encourage your hearts. Peace be to the brothers and love with faith from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace be with all who love our Lord Jesus Christ with love incorruptible. And may the Lord bless this morning the reading and the preaching of his word. Dick Hoyt is a name that you may have seen in the news this past week. Dick passed away at the age of 80 while he was sleeping. Dick came to some notoriety in this life because of the relationship that he shared with his son, Rick. Rick was born and at birth uh, had some severe complications that would render him uh, handicapped his entire life. He was unable to walk. He possessed uh, difficulty in many of his motor skills. But nevertheless, in 1977, Rick expressed a desire to his father, Dick, that he could run a race with him. And so Dick, wanting to honor the wishes of his son, set about with some specialized engineering to figure out how he could run a race with Rick and figure it out he did. Rick and Dick would go on to run 257 triathlons together and 50, excuse me, 72 marathons. Their most notable accomplishment were the two times that they entered, competed, and completed the World Championship Ironman Triathlon, a 2.4-mile swim, a 112-mile bike ride, and a 26.2-mile marathon, back to back to back. Dick did this while pulling his son on a raft, leading his son uh, in a carriage on the bike that he was riding, and pushing him over the 26 miles of the marathon. A phenomenal feat. Some questioned whether or not Rick should have been recognized as one who completed the Ironman World Championships. He was recognized, entered into their record books as having entered and completed the course those two occasions. And some wondered whether or not he should be seen as a a competitor or competitor and one who has completed it. Well, the organizing committee, the organizers of the championship responded that yes, Rick should have all the accolades and recognition that comes with one who completes such an arduous task that he has completed this, this unthinkable journey, the Ironman Championships, because he did it in his dad. As his dad did it, so did he. In him, he ran the course. In him, he finished the competition. In him. That's what the book of Ephesians has been all about through our study. In him. As we come to the end of this study, I bring you back to that major theme of the letter. In Christ, 
All is ours. This is the note that Paul opened the letter with in chapter 1. Those first 14 verses, he praises God over and over again for all that we have been given in Christ. In Christ, we are blessed. In Christ, we are chosen. In Christ, we are adopted. Uh, In Christ, we have redemption. In Christ, all things are being united. In Christ, we have obtained an inheritance. In Christ, we find hope. In Christ, we have believed. In Christ, we are sealed. In him. Coming out of that first chapter, Paul would carry that theme throughout the remainder of the letter. Uh, Later on in chapter 1, he would tell us that our faith is in Christ. In chapter 2, that in Christ we're brought near to God. Chapter 3, that all the promises of God are ours in Christ Jesus. In chapter 3, again, the eternal purposes of God, they're realized in Christ. In Christ, we have boldness. In chapter 4, we grow into Christ. We're taught in Christ. We're forgiven in Christ. In chapter 5, our inheritance is in him. And then last Sunday, we looked at chapter 6 in the spiritual warfare passage, and we're told to Stand in him. All through Ephesians, we're told it's all about Christ. Our unity with Christ and the resulting identity that we derive from that is the message of this book. And while that message is the melody that that carries through all the chapters of the letter, there's also an underlying harmony as well. When we started this series back on August the 10th, Uh, In 2020, I began by preaching a sermon titled to you, Riches and Relationships. Riches and Relationships. That's the underlying harmony, the background of the melody of being in him, that it, it affords us the great riches that we have in God and transforms all the relationships that we have as well. Paul's told us about that recently as we looked at the relationship of husband and wife, parent and children and follower and leaders. Well, he comes back to that same harmony again here at the end of the passage. This time he reverses the order. He gives us not riches and relationships, but relationship then riches in our text today. As we come to the end of this letter in these final verses, there's two parts that Paul would present us with. First, the relationship. He'll tell us about a dear brother. And then secondly, the riches, a divine blessing. Let's look at them together this morning. First of all, part number one of the text, a dear brother. This is verses 21 and 22. Paul says, I want you to know how I am and what I'm doing. So I've got a guy. I know a guy. His name is Tychicus. I may call him Ty this morning for short. I wonder if Paul did the same. Tychicus. He said, I'm going to send him to you. Tychicus was a beloved brother and faithful minister in the Lord with Paul. And Paul said, he will tell you everything. He will come and let you know how we are and encourage your hearts. These verses flow naturally naturally from the last thought that Paul gave us at the end of our passage last week. You remember as we ended that, that passage on spiritual warfare, Paul told us we need to be praying in the Spirit And then Paul said, I want you to pray for me. And how encouraging that was that Paul, this great missionary, evangelist, preacher, theologian, church planner, pastor, he wanted people to pray for him. And now Paul tells them in verses 21 and 22 of our text this morning how they can go about doing that. 
He says, I'm going to send Tychicus to you so he can fill in all the details that's going on with my life and my ministry. He can let you know how we're doing here, imprisoned in Rome, and you'll know better how to pray for me. So Paul was sending Tychicus to them, a beloved brother, someone who Paul enjoyed very close fellowship with. Tychicus was also a faithful minister. Paul highlighted his faithfulness as he served alongside of Paul. Now, Tychicus is a name that we see recorded in Scripture five times. But in each instance, he's never standing out front. He's never standing in the spotlight. What we do know from Scripture is that Tychicus probably came, probably lived, probably grew up in the city of Ephesus. This was his home city. He was converted under Paul's ministry there. And it was coming out of Ephesus during that missionary journey that Tychicus would join Paul and go with him. He would become a close associate and a traveling companion with Paul. And he would also go on to serve as Paul's amanuensis. Now, what in the world is amanuensis? Well, that's what Paul would have called him because he was his secretary. Tychicus served as the secretary of Paul. And we have great, uh, great belief that he would record the letters that Paul would send to churches. Paul would dictate them, and Tychicus would write them down. And here, at the end of Ephesians, having written down all that Paul said for these six chapters, Paul's now going to send Tychicus back to the city that he came from with this letter that he has written from Paul. He was very near and dear to Paul. He could tell them everything about his ministry, but he could also tell them everything that Paul had written about in Ephesus, or in Ephesians. Could you imagine being Tychicus and hearing Paul elaborate all the blessings that we have in Christ, all the great doctrines that he covers for the first three chapters of Ephesians, and then in chapters 4, 5, and 6, all the practical things that he calls us to to live out that truth. He discussed these things with Paul. He had heard Paul's mind and heart regarding these matters, and he would take this letter to the believers at Ephesus, and he would be able to expound upon those truths to them there. What a great ministry he had. And while his mention is brief here in the book of Ephesians, the only proper name that's given in the entire book, we can still learn some important lessons from the ministry of this dear brother Tychicus. Let me give you three questions to consider as we think about Tychicus here today. Number one, do you have gospel-centered relationships? Do you have gospel-centered relationships? Paul and the relationship that he shared with Tychicus was bound by the gospel. The gospel was at the very heart of the friendship, the fellowship, the ministry that these men did together. And I wonder, do you have that relationship with a believer in your life? Now, you've heard me oftentimes call you to having gospel-centered relationships with, with sinners or with those who are lost. One of the great things that I love to, to read about in the gospels regarding the ministry of Jesus is that he was a friend of sinners. He would eat sinners, eat with sinners. He wouldn't eat sinners. That'd be kind of strange, wouldn't it? He would eat with sinners and receive them. He associated himself with them. Uh, one of the things we've got to do better job, better job of in the church today is, is us associating ourselves with unbelievers, with building relationships with them for the sake and the purpose of sharing the gospel. And I've called you to that many times. I'll give you these five areas to think about. Number one, at your own table. In your family, who are you working to lead to Christ, to share the gospel with? At your mailbox, 
your neighbors, those in your community? Are you getting to know them for the purpose of pointing them to Jesus at the water cooler? Those that you work with, those that you see week in and week out. Are you building a relationship with them, getting to know them so that you can speak the gospel into their life? At the checkout line. Now, what I mean by the checkout line is not necessarily the person that you're standing in line with at Walmart, although that could be the case, but those places that you frequently visit and do your business. You go to the same bank, you see the same teller, you go to the same dry cleaner, you see the same employee there. All these places that you're going to, uh, conducting business and running errands in life, get to know the people that you see. Strike up a conversation with them, see them again, and inquire how they're doing. Build that relationship to have the opportunity to speak the gospel into their life. And then the fifth one is in your seats. In your seats. Now, what do I mean by in your seats? I'm not talking about the seat that you're sitting in this morning, but rather where you go for your hobbies, where you go in your places of interest, those people that share an affinity and the things that you enjoy doing. Get to know them. Use those common interests as a way of uh, of building a relationship that you can then share the gospel with them. So we need to have gospel-centered relationships with sinners, with those who are lost. How else will we share the gospel unless we're doing that? But what I have in mind today as we look at the relationship with Paul and Tychicus is that we also need to have gospel-centered relationships with believers, with brothers and sisters in Christ. Now, I don't doubt for a moment that here among the faith family at Poplar Springs that you have close relationships with other members of the body, uh, that you have friendships that you have established here with other brothers and sisters in Christ. But what I want to encourage you to do is to have the gospel at the center of those relationships, that you talk not just about life, that you talk not just about what's going on in your world, but that you speak the gospel to each other, that you encourage one another in the truths of what we have in Jesus Christ, that you're, you're encouraging one another on in your walk with the Lord to grow in faith, to serve the Lord with gladness. Do you have a gospel-centered relationship? Do you have a beloved brother or sister in Christ today, as Paul did with Tychicus? Have gospel-centered relationships. But a second consideration as we think about this dear brother, will you embrace obscurity? Will you embrace obscurity? The Roman philosopher Cicero said, we are all motivated by a keen desire for praise. That's true even in Christian circles. Celebrity Christianity is absolutely real. We want our name and lights. We want to be out front. We want to be recognized and praised and patted on the back for the job that we think we have done. But that wasn't the case for Tychicus. While he served certainly some important roles in the ministry of Paul and in the life of many local congregations, he was always willing to serve in the background, always willing to be out of the limelight. He was always willing to serve gladly in the shadow of the apostle Paul. He was willing to embrace obscurity. A recent author wrote, we're drunk. We're intoxicated with a desire to be known, recognized, appreciated, and respected. We crave to be a somebody and do notable things to achieve our dreams and gain the admiration of others. To be something, anything other than nothing. Are you willing to be nothing today for the sake and the cause of Christ? Are you willing to embrace obscurity 
to serve the Lord gladly? Let me remind you this morning that your faith isn't measured by your fame. Say it again. Your faith today is not measured by your fame. It's not measured by how many people like the Bible verse that you put on social media or how many people recognize you when you walk in a room. Your faith and your, your service to the Lord today, Poplar Springs, is not recognized by how many people know who we are or where we are. I mean, the truth is people know where we are simply because we've got goats, right? We're the goat church. Somebody asked me, where do you pastor at? I'm at the church there on 92 and higher on Poplar Springs. Are those y'all's goats out there next to y'all? Yes, we, we are the goat church. That's who we are. We have goats. You can see them after service today. But your faith isn't measured by your fame. Jesus tells us uh, in the Gospels, he tells us in the Sermon on the Mount, that we're not to be about seeking the praise of man. We're not to be seeking to be recognized in the eyes of man. He says, don't go and pray on the street corners like hypocrites, where they stand so that they can be seen and be, be noticed by many others. No, he said, go and do your righteousness uh, in the presence of the Lord. These who do it publicly, they receive no reward from the Father who is in heaven. Rather than focusing on the praise of man, we need to focus on eternal rewards. The praise of man is fleeting. In fact, if we long for the praise of men, we'll one day be wanting for the praise of our Lord. How good would it be on that day when we stand before Jesus to hear him say your name followed by well done, good and faithful servant. Oh, that comes as we're willing to embrace obscurity, to serve the Lord behind the scenes or in the shadows, to never see our name out front or recognized. Will you embrace obscurity? Will you keep the spotlight on Jesus? And then third, as we think about this relationship between Paul and Tychicus, will you give your best? Will you give your best? How important do you think Tychicus was to the Apostle Paul? How invaluable was he as a friend in fellowship, as a partner in ministry? He had traveled with Paul along the journey. He had been with Paul in the shipwreck. He had faced all the riots and all the struggles that Paul had encountered. He was close. But yet here we find Paul at the end of Ephesians sending Tychicus away. Giving Tychicus to the believers at Ephesus. Sending to encourage their hearts. Thinking about them. Paul could have been selfish. Paul could have said, Tychicus, I need you here with me. You're a great encouragement to me. You're a great companion with me. I need you here to keep me going. But no, he said, I'm going to send you. I'm going to give the best that I have so that you can go and bless others. You know, we're prone to want to keep the best for ourselves, aren't we? Let me give you an illustration that I think maybe you can relate with. You ever made two bowls of ice cream? You put those bowls before you on the counter. Maybe one's for you and one's for your spouse or one for you and one for your children. And you scoop those, uh, you get the ice cream scooper and you scoop the, the ice cream into the bowl and you get them both made and you pick them up and as you're heading to deliver that, that bowl, you're, you're, you know what you're doing, right? You know where this is going. You're weighing, aren't you? You're looking. 
you're counting chocolate chips and you're, you're counting uh, all the other goodies and you're looking at the chocolate syrup to see which one has the most and your carnal nature is going, I want the biggest, I want the best, I want the most for me. And then in a moment of great depravity, you give your spouse and your child a smaller bowl of ice cream. <laughs> and you sit down and you enjoy what you have done and think you've done something. Now, I know that's kind of lighthearted and a little bit humorous, but I think it, it gives us some idea, doesn't it? We want to keep the best for ourselves. But Paul reminds us in this relationship that he had with a dear brother, we need to give God our best. And trust the Lord that he'll continue to sustain and be faithful to us. A dear brother. Then we come to the final two verses in the book of Ephesians. And in these verses, Paul gives us a divine blessing. He closes the letter of Ephesians in a similar fashion to how he began. A word of blessing. He opened Ephesians. Ephesians 1.3 as he got to the body proper by blessing God. He said, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us. He opens by blessing God. He comes to the end of the letter and now he closes with God blessing us. He gives us a divine benediction. A benediction is simply a pronouncement of God's blessings upon God's people. There are many benediction prayers found in scripture, both Old Testament and New Uh, The most familiar comes from Numbers chapter 6, verses 24 through 26, the Arianic blessing. You've heard me use these words many times as I pray the benediction prayer at the end of our service. There, Aaron said, the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine down upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. He's pronouncing the blessings of God upon the people of God. That's how Paul closes his letter here, reminding us of the blessings that we have in him. Let me give you three thoughts very quickly about this benediction. First of all, the substance. There are four elements or four blessings, if you will, that Paul prays over the believers at Ephesus. He says, peace be to the brothers. Peace. When Paul says peace, he's not merely referring to the lack of conflict or strife. Uh, We know that because he's just come off a passage where he's talking about spiritual warfare and wrestling. He says, as those who are in Christ and standing strong in Christ, you're going to face conflict in this life. It's not always easy. It's not always a bed of roses. But here he reminds us in this benediction that we can still know peace. When Paul uses the word peace there, he has the idea of well-being in mind. It's the Old Testament concept of shalom, well-being that touches every area of our life. This is what Horatio Spafford had in mind when he wrote that familiar hymn of the church, It is well with my soul. He wrote that hymn in the face of unthinkable tragedy as he lost his children in a shipwreck, only his wife surviving. But yet even in such a a difficult circumstance, he could proclaim, it is well with my soul. When the peace of God, like a river flows, it is well with my soul. That's what Paul is saying that we have here in Christ. It's a divine blessing that God gives to his children. We have peace with God. 
We're reconciled with him. We're no longer at odds with him because we are in Christ. And because we are at peace with God, we can then have the peace of God no matter what's going on in our life or in this world. What a divine blessing that is to have. You see so many people today, there are people today, you know what gets them going, what they live on every single day? Drama. Y'all know somebody like that? Our world is like that. Our news cycle is like that. They live on drama. You know why they live on drama? Because they don't have the peace of God. They're not at peace with God. They don't have the peace of God. That's all they know in life. It's what makes their world go around. But we have the divine blessing of peace. Peace be to the brothers. Paul adds to that in verse 23. And love with faith. Love with faith. Paul comes back to the theme of love just as he did with peace here at the end. He tells us in Ephesians 1, 4 that we have been chosen in love. In Ephesians 3, 17 through 19, he tells us we're rooted and grounded in the love of Christ. That we need to pray to know the breadth, the length, the depth, and the height of the love of Christ that surpasses all knowledge. In Ephesians 5, 2, he told us to walk in love even as Christ has loved us. And here he reminds us that now the love of God has been shed abroad in our hearts. John would write, Behold, what manner of love the Father has bestowed upon you that you should be called the children, the sons, and the daughters of God. And such you are. Have you ever just said and contemplated and meditated on the fact that the God of heaven and the earth, the one who sits and rules and reigns over all, loves you today? Loves you. I was reading the story of a pastor who had aged. He was retired. He was in his early 90s. And he was asked to come back to the church that he had pastored for many, many years on a day of recognition and celebration of his ministry. And the pastor of the church that time asked him to, to share an important lesson that he learned during his ministry to encourage the church on that day. The old pastor stepped to the pulpit at the appropriate time, said a few opening words, and then simply said, I want to share with you what I think is most important. And he sang the children's song that we all know. Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. Child of God, understand this today. Jesus loves you. God loves you. The love of God is a divine blessing for you. He says that love is with faith, a faith by which you are justified before God. You're declared righteous now because you have trusted in Jesus Christ. And then he comes to verse 24 and he gives us the element of grace. Grace, grace. Paul has already told us in Ephesians 2, by grace are you saved through faith. This is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. Oh, we have the divine blessing of the grace of God in our life. But then Paul tells us the source. He makes very plain at the end of this letter that all of these blessings, the peace, the love, the faith, and the grace that are ours, they come all from God. He says it clearly at the end of verse 23, from the God, from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. And then he adds it on again in the, the pronouncement of grace as well. Grace be with all who love our Lord Jesus Christ. It all comes from God. I'm reminded of what the hymn teaches us. 
Praise God from whom all blessings flow. Praise him, all creatures here below. Praise him above, ye heavenly hosts. Praise Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. We praise God because he has bestowed his blessings upon us. And in blessings, don't think immediately of the materialistic things that we enjoy. Although certainly those are blessings. But hear what Paul is saying. He has blessed you with peace and love and faith and grace. He has blessed you with divine blessings that only he can give. But then Paul closes the benediction and closes the letter with a stipulation. A stipulation. He tells us that these divine blessings that come from the divine fount, God himself, are reserved for only those who meet this qualification. Grace be with all who love our Lord Jesus Christ with love incorruptible. That word incorruptible, it means to love in an undying way. It means to possess a love that is unending and eternal. Let me ask you a question. Is that how you love Jesus today? You see, the blessings of God, the blessings that are ours in Christ, they only come to those who have a heart that love Jesus. Those whose heart are set on Him, who love Him in an unending way who love him with an undying passion. They love Jesus. Now listen carefully to me. They love Jesus. They don't merely love the benefits and the blessings that Jesus can give. They don't merely love the good things that the gospel can provide in our life. No, they love Jesus. They love Jesus with a love that's incorruptible. I'm reminded of the message that John was given at the beginning of the Revelation as he was writing to the seven churches of Asia Minor. Presumably, the letter of Ephesians would go to all of those churches as it would circulate around that region. The church of Ephesus would get it. The church of Pergamos, uh, Smyrna, Thyatira, Laodicea. But do you remember what he had against the church at Laodicea? I have something against you. You've left your first love. You've left your first love. Paul here calls us to that love, that love that is incorruptible, that love from a heart that is set ablaze because of who Jesus is, the one in whom all the blessings of God are ours. Do you love Jesus that way today? Is your love for Jesus incorruptible? If it is, all the blessings that Paul has captured for us and highlighted and taught us about in the book of Ephesians are yours. Every single one. But maybe you're here today and your heart's not in love with Jesus. Maybe you're asking, why should I love Jesus? Why should I love Jesus more than family or friends? Why should I love Jesus more than the goods and the things of this life? Because in him, all the blessings of God become yours. Because in him, redemption's cost has been paid. Because in him, a sacrifice has been provided 
that your sins can be dealt with. Because in him and only in him can you be reconciled to God today. So I would call you today to love Jesus with all your heart. Surrender your life to him and complete repentance and faith. And know that all the blessings that are in him will then be yours. Let's pray this morning. Heavenly Father, we give you our thanks today for your word. We're thankful for your Holy Spirit that has led us through this study of Ephesians. And Father, we pray the truths that we have been taught, that your word would be written upon our hearts, that it would shape our lives that we would hold to every doctrine, that we would enjoy every spiritual blessing, and that our hearts would love Jesus even more. And Father, I do pray for the one that perhaps is here today or watching us online, and their heart's not in love with Jesus. They don't love him with an undying, unending love. Lord, I pray that today they would turn from sin and self. They would surrender to him a complete repentance and faith and be saved. Father, I pray that by your grace and for your glory, Lord, we would be a people will become one body people who have been joined together bound by the gospel and that our lives be lived in a manner worthy of that father we pray we ask today that you as the one who is able to do exceedingly and abundantly above all that we can ask or think according to your power at work within us that there would be glory to you in this church in our lives and in Christ Jesus for all eternity for we ask it in his name